0: Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast, stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence, to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Welcome to this edition of the Nonprofit Exchange. It's Hugh Ballou and
1: Russell Dennis. Russell, good day to you, sir. Happy Tuesday. The last Tuesday of August, as I said earlier, and welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange. And we've got a brilliant financial mind here with us to, in the form of young Jim day, Dygard. And uh, he's going to talk to us about money, something that some of us get a little uncomfortable with, but we always have to keep it in mind. Oh, Jim Dygard. Tell us about yourself. Tell us about Jim, Jim
2: Dygard, please. Good day. Well, uh, I began a journey after college with uh, a little operation called the U.S. Treasury Department, and uh, and I scored very high in some uh, uh, adaptation skills that I had, um, which allowed me to move into what we call a systems analyst. And as a systems analyst, I'm looking for not only the repeated process steps inside of an organization or inside of an activity, um, but I'm looking for the aberrations that are caused when things don't work right. And uh, so with that, I was advanced to be a, uh, an examiner uh, for the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency which is a division of the US Treasury. And they're charged with the establishing the, the, uh, the solvency and liquidity of our entire national banking system. Um, so when I was doing my work there, we were doing the things that ultimately are now considered stress tests. The ability for a financial institution or any organization Um, to behave according to its mandate, its vision, its mission, and its purpose, such that it becomes sustainable. So I learned the term sustainability long before it was applied to the green world of sustainable businesses for uh, beyond economics. Um, And I learned it from the standpoint of what we call triple bottom line. And the ability for an operation to not only create cash flow in those organizations that do create cash flow or to serve and steward the cash flow that might be provided to it in the world and in the efforts in the arena of, say, nonprofits, where there may be a grant or maybe sponsors or maybe contributors that are are allowing those funds to be available. To pursue a particular goal or vision and mission. So, um, in that process of learning systems dynamics and systems analysis and procedural process steps and mapping a flow of workforce behaviors, uh, ultimately, in the last uh, 15 or 20 years, the industry that's applied to I want to say consulting, but not really the, – the work I do is not really consulting. It, it does give counsel, and it does give um, uh, a, a procedural step. We actually have built a um, non-technology-based, non-IT-based, not software-based, procedural – process steps for risk mitigation. Uh, In effect, the decision-making skills that any organization needs to go through, whomever's stewarding the direction of that organization, um, needs to have a tool set for discerning and determining what is the best decisions to make. Now, there's a lot of um, prior work, we all say that we stand on the shoulders of giants who came before us. Uh, there's a lot of prior work in this industry, uh, but no one has taken the position that we have—that we create what would we call a mirror and complement to the chart of activities or the chart of um, chart of accounts that is associated with financial statements. I think you'll agree, and your audience probably is familiar with financial statements, and whether it's a personal solopreneur that needs to have a financial statement and does have one, uh, or a enterprise or an organization, um, and whether they are for-profit or whether they're non-for-profit, those financial statements are often the story that is told of the history of that organization's activities. And to be able to read that story is much like reading a language. So understanding the nuances of how those uh, outcomes became to exist is the story which we dive into. And we give it real practical, um, uh, actionable, practitionable events that allows the decision maker, again, whether it's a solopreneur or all the way through to a larger organization. Uh, We've worked with very large organizations, up to 2,000 employees, uh, actually more. And um, so the process works because it, does what we would call, actually goes beyond business process management. Uh, some people may have heard of things like Agile or Balanced Scorecard or Sig Sigma, or there's a whole arena of disciplines that approach and help to describe the interworking relationships that go on inside of an organization because an organization is a living, breathing entity. It goes and lives in essence beyond the workforce that creates it. Well, hopefully it does. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so whether it's a proprietor who built something and then at some day steps away, either because they've sold it or, um, it grew up, uh, we've worked with, uh, employee, um, stock option programs where employees have actually purchased the, the operations that were created by an original founder. Uh, We've worked on mergers and acquisitions where a company is going to be absorbed by someone else or merges. And there's a cultural clash that goes on between them. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes um, cultural clashes are merely a outcome of not sufficient information and not sufficient communications, and uh, there's a whole there's a whole arena of work in that environment. We encapsulate that. We encapsulate uh, financial literacy and mastery of financial statements, and we encapsulate uh, this entire process of organizational behavior, and created a mirror and complement. To the chart of uh, 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 Chart of accounts that mirrors and complements what we call as a chart of activities, and when we do that, we get a true line of sight between the behavior inside the organization and the financial outcomes that it produces. From there, we can begin to create pro formas and projections forward. <laughs>
0: So, Russell, um, hang on a second. Russell, what is that spark in your interest? You, you know, you work in the financial area. What, is, what
1: kind of interest does that spark by you? Well, you know, one of the keys to being able to raise more money for nonprofits is really to kind of tie a story to it. Because money tells a story. It, it it has, a, as, as you said, it has a language of its own, and people can tie, I like that statement, chart of activities, it's still COA, which I call the chart of accounts, chart of activities. So in painting a picture for people that support you, it's important to be able to uh, talk about how what they're contributing is making a difference and making an impact in the lives of other people. So being able to, to follow that activity is important. And, and then as we teach here at vision, the money should be tied to the plans. Right.
2: So
1: uh, all of those numbers mean something. All of it has a place as, as all of your activities have a place and should have a place. So unpack that a little bit for us, because people will sit there and they'll look at a, a chart of accounts, and, and they'll think of a budget. But what's what's a good example of an account that uh, that becomes uh, activity? If, if you were to take a, a, a certain set of items off of that chart of activities and kind of relate it to a chart of accounts. Uh, what would those things be and what kind of story would they tell?
2: Sure. That's exactly what the process begins to do. We actually map those and we end up with a value creation map. And the value creation map is indicative of the the collection of activities. It's not just usually a single uh, person or a single node that ends up impacting the financial direction of the organization either the past or if we intend to change its future. So we're actually looking at that collection of things that may uh, drive the results we're looking for. For instance, um, uh, we may have uh, in a nonprofit, we may have, uh, as you say, the source of funds coming from an outside environment. We don't have to have operational activities to drive source of funds the way a product or service company does, but we still have a activity that might be needed to raise funds and or to maintain funds or to continuously create an additional flow of funds. So that behavior activity as a group of things that are done end up being the driving factors that will, of course, show up in instead of Income like a uh, like a for-profit company, it'll show up in the derived revenue sourcing.
1: Okay. So, so, oh, this 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 sounds like an interesting hybrid between the spreadsheet and, and a uh, a value proposition map,
2: for example exactly exactly you're, you're, you're capturing the concept of what this is now the process is um, is rather uh, definitive we we've, we've defined the exact ways in which things are done in order to solicit and and create the organizational alignment because as we all know whether it's a for-profit or nonprofit organization if we don't have alignment, of vision, purpose, and mission, um, we don't have the right um, contribution of human energy in order to get the things accomplished we need to, whether it's run a particular campaign uh, or do a particular event or, or maintain the back office in some way or however that's to be done. So um, we go through a process that first aligns people And secondly, through that alignment process, there's a dissection or a depiction by the individual parties of what is the value creation activities inside this organization that create a thrilled and delighted customer. Well, we can use the terminology customer Mm -hmm. in any vernacular we like, right? Who is our customer in this? Who is our customer in that? So, uh, when we go through that process, we're looking for the handoffs, the handups and the handoffs of the things that are going on, the action steps, the behaviors and the activities that then can be mapped and charted. And now because of that grouping and that analysis work, we can find out what impact it has if it's uh, on traditional fi- uh, financial statements or whether it's on a nonprofit's financial statements. Now we can begin to tie that together. And uh, we've actually redefined what is called a key KPI. People have heard of that, Um, Key Performance Indicator. And when first created and the KPIs were first identified and created, uh, they had a very significant and and purposeful meaning. Over the years, uh, KPIs have slipped a little bit. The integrity of what a KPI is has been lost in, as a minutiae almost inside of so many other disciplines. Sometimes, today in a, in a manufacturing world, a KPI might be well, how many widgets did we produce today, or this week, or this month, or this quarter? Um, or how many, how many uh, cartons did we ship off the loading dock? Or those are certainly performance indicators but they aren't what we call key performance indicators and they aren't master measures of how things are being done inside the organization. When I say the how things are being done, not just the what is being done. So when we apply uh, the process steps to which we derive key performance indicators, first of all, we're looking for a um, an operational data point, something that we can, demonstrably described in an operational statement and how is that measured against a financial data point and that data data point may show up in the financial statements once we have those two now we're looking to for discernment as to whether it's um, historic activities are in line with where we want to take the direction of the organization or they may not be and what changes do we need to make in order to impact the future growth of the organization? Um, there are some similarities in profit, for-profits and nonprofits. Uh, not always, but in some for-profit businesses, they have a board of directors. And the board of directors may be implementing operational directives that the chief executive officer or hired president may need to have as a mandate to move forward to directionalize the growth of that organization. And it's coming from the board. Uh, Similarly, nonprofits may have an operating manager or an ED uh, or managing director that is um, that is stewarding the direction of the organization, but they may also have a board that has some mandates to what is the outcomes that we're looking for. As the decision maker and the go-to process uh, person, the president or the managing director, they have to make decisions regularly on what is the direction that this organization is going in, and does it is it consistent with the mandate? I like. I like. What what changes? Russell,
0: Russell opened up a good topic. I'm sorry, I thought that was a period. It was a comma. Russell opened up this really fascinating topic, um, this, this channel, I, I'm really seeing as he opened it up and as you have delved into the data, it's, it's almost like a three dimensional way of looking at a static document, a, a one dimensional document. Cause I find that there's remarkable similarities in um, entrepreneurs, whether they're working in a for-profit or a for purpose, we're calling this um, enterprise and, Virtually, the the board of directors has financial oversight responsibility, the financial oversight and and governance, are the two two big ones. And um, uh, Russell's area of work is high performance nonprofits that generate money, and my work is overlapping with that. And actually, our work overlaps each other. But it's it's how do we generate the uh, the culture of high performance? And Jim, what occurs to me as you're explaining this? is um, the, the similarity is people running the organization don't really understand the numbers and what they mean, so there's a fundamental lack of understanding of the balance sheet and the and the p and l and the budget, and they don't really know what a cash flow flow projection can be used for, but they also don't realize the metrics that you're 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 putting on the plate you know how you're measuring the what we do you're measuring how we do it but We also need to measure the results of what we're doing. Correct. That's that's that's, that's the real meat of the thing. So speak uh, speak in that direction a little bit. You're creating a, a whole new picture, and we we named this this interview. Um, I took the liberties in saying it's a it's a, a whole a new systems approach to financial decision making for nonprofits, and and so what you're opening up is a whole new paradigm of how do we as the, the governance of this organization make effective financial decisions.
2: Correct. Correct. Because it's not just financial decisions because we have non-financial outcomes as well. Hmm. And, and that may be job satisfaction. That may be enjoyment in what we do. That may be the contribution of time and talent besides the treasure that people may be giving to a, to a nonprofit or, or, uh, for purpose business activity. Um, so we are looking at that holistic approach from a uh, operations and how does the grease move between the wheels? If we call the money the cash flow, the grease that moves between the wheels, how does it get there? Where does it go? How is it used? And what decisions processes do we have to go through in order to implement change and or growth? and or strategies that we wouldn't otherwise be able to project forward without the understanding of how much grease there is, where it comes from, and where is it best used. Because this is a decision process tool to help discern the activities inside the organization that will drive the organization to where it's intended destination is we look for a lot of budget process steps our analysis work to discern you know how much did we do last year and what's our what's our deviation differences between the few years before and where do we want to go and what do we and we set goals and we set things as dreams as visions as desires and we begin to move there and we don't have the tools to stay on track we don't want that train to jump the track. Number one, we have to lay down the track in a way that is consistent with the activities of the past and consistent with our intended outcomes and set the mileposts and the signs in, on the track ahead to ensure that it stays on the track. But if it starts to get off the track, happens, how do we know it's getting off the track before we've derailed it? long before we do around it, long before we, you know, so that we can make sure that we're staying on track and staying focused with our vision and purpose. Um, You had it right, Hugh. This is like three-dimensional view of a single-dimension financial statement. When a business operator looks at their financial statements, oftentimes the individual who's running the organization or that entity has a little bit of a a depth into that, has a little bit of a second-level view into it. But until that second-level view can be catalyzed and articulated to the other members of the organization, such that the other members have full Mm agreements, unanimity, an understanding of what's happening inside that organization, the value creation activities inside the organization to create thrilled and delighted customer, all those things that begin to manifest and create the organization as an entity. That's your second level of depth. Your third level of depth is once that takes place, we need a loopback system. We need a way in which those activities are not only um, understood, But they are inculcated into the system in a way in which those behavior traits begin to manifest by everyone inside the organization. The deeper we take it through a workforce environment, the more sustainable results that we can end up achieving. And believe me, uh, the beauty of this is it's not particularly hard and it's not particularly difficult. As, As I said, it's not tech and it's not software. These are process states activities that can take a very limited amount of time when we implement them in the strategy we, we, that we've created
0: yeah the tag on that a minute that's that's the direction i was hoping to go because as you explained it i'm melting down here this looks like it's really hard
2: <laughs>
0: for russell it's a piece of cake but for me uh, it sounds really hard so unpack give us a Can you kind of give us a, for instance, this is one thing you could implement and without a whole break and sweat or maybe maybe it's not that difficult.
2: Sure. Um, I will use an example where uh, a chief financial officer, president of a company, and again, this could be a nonprofit or uh, for-purpose business, um, has a viewpoint of the operational activities of the business, of of that uh, endeavor. And we begin to do a process map. Um, and let them unpack that tacit knowledge, that information they have in their head. That how do we do this? How do we operate? When that is done, we usually go to the next key in, uh, performer inside the organization. Um, and in a for-profit, sometimes that's a controller or a CPA or the, uh, or the uh, CEO, CFO, excuse me. Um, and, uh, and we get their alignment. We get their vision of it, and once we get unanimity between those two, we can then begin to, from a holocracy, begin to move that out into the next realm of responsibilities, uh, senior teams, um, uh, the core teams of, of a, a, a 4 purpose organization, uh, and as that begins to become a real um, map a real value creation activity map. Now we begin to tie those things into, in their case, their unique financial statement, whatever that statement is. Um, And uh, so uh, the the system, we've used it for early stage startup organizations that are less than three years in operations. um, And it does have um, tremendous value and we can get, alignment. The best use of what we've accomplished is in um, larger organizations that have been established for a period of time and have a lot of working modules. Um, there's a theory of, of domains that say in an ordered and or unordered states. Ordered states are th- things like simple and, um, uh, and Uh, complementary and unordered are things like chaos and complex Uh, we work in the world of simple and uh, in complexity and because of that um, every organization has intended activities therefore we have a loop once we know that there's intended activities we have a loop when we have a loop we can define the elements that support that loop. So if I could bring it back down to that working relationship for you to understand, uh, Hugh, it's simply diagnosing the activities inside the organization. Uh, Again, looking for systems that, um, that are created and the, some of the best activity that we've applied this to is There's a thing called the theory of constraints. If you constrain a a volume of water and you constrict it, you're going to reduce the amount of flow that that water has, correct? You may increase the speed, but but potentially you're restricting that. When we apply this process using the theory of constraints, we're applying it to the aberrations in the system. Remember I said something about my, my background, systems analyst and aberrations and systems. That's what we look for. When we apply it to an organization, we're looking for those things that just don't connect well. The things that we call disconnects and strengths or problematic areas. The things that keep people staying up late at night. Those little worrisome areas that say, I wish I could fix this. This process begins to unpack and peel back the process, the activities that create the process, which are the intended outcomes. We define those unintended outcomes that are the consequences, and then we can reapply the same process to discern what is the intended outcomes we want and giving us the gauge point, that behavior statement data point on top of a financial data point. And now we can begin to monitor and make sure that the activities are carried forward. Um, We're a big believer in um, organizations should run under what we call non-directive leadership. Uh, We've gone through the development stage in uh, organizations where directive leadership is command control, rank and file, orderly activities. I'm not saying that's being replaced. There is still a lot of need for the process steps that 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 has been built on. But in today's environment, to become nimble and to be able to adapt itself as a living entity in an environment that's also changing you the better you can encapsulate your living environment and ensure that you're in command and control of that environment means you are better to be nimble command and control in that sense means that you have diversified some authority and move that authority down through the rank and file so that decisions can be made by people who have the responsibilities and they then need the authority to make those decisions. So we look at non-directive leadership in that um, um, the hierarchy of, of workforce, we had all the way up through managers and divisions and and uh, presidents, uh, all the vice presidents, all the way up through, is all about red light, green light, or yellow light projects, where the projects are being brought from the lower level and brought in is saying, we believe this is a better way to accomplish what we needed to, and we intend to accomplish. Here's how we propose that we're going to change what we have happening to improve that process. And senior, uh, senior personnel will then either red light the process because it's not acceptable for whatever the reasons are um, and yellow light it, with exceptions being, I'll green light it once you have these answers, but we have to look at the system elsewhere and see where we have some aberrations that may take place. Or green light it, you did a great job, we don't see anything wrong with this, we've checked, and we believe that you have a solution to a problem, and this is the way to mitigate it. Our blessings, go ahead and implement this process.
0: Russell, you're, you're contemplating some of these themes. What's, what's brewing
1: in that, that shiny head of yours, a good looking shiny head? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, a lot of people are jealous of my naturally curly hair, but we, we'll, that's, we'll save that for another episode. But you know what I'm thinking, because that's the third piece of what I call building a high-performance nonprofit is staying on track. And so having good tools to measure is critical. Uh, And I'm going to ask you in a minute how you get around some of this overwhelm because one of the, you know, as Hugh talked about, these things can look overwhelming, especially to somebody that's in a small nonprofit. So what I look to do, uh, and uh, I remember meeting a young man by the name of Brendan Bruchard who talked about creating tools. And his theory was that they should be easy to access, understand, and use. And so those are the kind of things. I've got some things that aren't necessarily scientific, but it gives nonprofit leaders ways to measure things, like uh, just like a profile of a donor or a customer. Really, uh, very basic things, and uh, I find that with with tools, if 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 the tools kind of flow into the work that people are already doing. Uh, it becomes easier for them to actually access them and use them. And so I I, I think there's a bit of resistance. I know you're working with larger systems. I I can't imagine how much you you see. But what I was going to ask you was, you know, because a lot of people, their eyes will blaze over. So how do you break down this need in a way that people sort of get it and, and convince them that it's really in their best interest to use it because there's that human resistance to things that look like it's going to take a lot more effort uh, than the benefits will produce. How do you how do you work around that and what are some good ways uh to talk to people, especially nonprofit leaders about the importance of this and some things they can do that don't look so large
2: and overwhelming. Good good point And here's how as simple as it can be. When we look at an organization, any kind, no matter its size or purpose, there are four major activities. We get all caught up in all kinds of strategy sessions and all kinds of things elsewise, but they're really just four activities. There's sourcing and discerning who our client is whatever that client is, again, for purpose or for profit. There is servicing and ensuring that that client, prospect, customer is cared for. There's research and development, and then there's back office. Our proposition in the way we have designed and created this simply follows those four arenas. And when you look at your whole existence and you discern yourself in those environments, now, yes, we can get into all kinds of permutations and chart of accounts that can get to 300 line items and all kinds of things and, and, you know, financial statements that come off as reams of data because it's a big organization. But, if we really step back and look at the organization and say what are we doing here why are we doing this and what are those elements or arenas if you will that say if we could encapsulate and roll up all those chart of accounts into categorical arenas those are the four arenas that we would find now it is possible to have just a couple of other minor arenas, but our contention is that's not the focus and the motivation of what the organization was intended to accomplish. It may have grown into some of those other arenas along the way, um, and they could be carved out and and pushed away or sold or 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 maybe they 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 developed so deeply that it was a great idea, and it's time for it to carve out. And it's time for it to break away and become its own existence. And we'd have to nurture it and support it along the way. But when we look at those as the aberrations and not the real content, we now are putting putting them in the right perspective and we can stay focused on the right content in the right context so that we can actually create operational behavior. Intended organizational operational behavior for intended outcomes
1: so this is yeah this is all very exciting stuff and i noticed because you can really get lost in the weeds with all of the different software and tools and stuff that are out there so when you're working with people what would you say is the primary deliverable they get that they can take and use to once this system is built keep themselves on
2: track Perfect. Well, well asked. Um, if we hold on to those four arenas and you simply uh, look at each of those arenas and give yourself four or five activities in each of those arenas that constitute the major activities of that arena, right? What is the most dominant things that go on in that arena, whether it's sourcing or profiling and understanding who our client perspective is, or or whether it's the supporting and in, in product or service delivery, or whether it's R&D researching, in, 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 uh, or whether it's back office. If we looked at five or six major activities inside that organization, we'll be able to map out, they'll be able to map out for themselves. And this could be a six-person organization. This doesn't have to be 6,000. This can be, you know, a very small or, or ongoing activity. Um, once they b- begin to find that, now you're, you're really, all you're really fine-tuning from there is who's hat, who's, who's doing those things, you know? How many hats does somebody have to wear in order to get these done in a small organization? But when we get into bigger ones, now we're, we're just carving them out and breaking them down deeper. So we look at the chunk it up, chunk it up to the top, look at it from that 10,000 foot view, and just simply understand the mechanics of what's going on. And when you begin to get those mechanics now, now you can actually create a map. We call that a value creation map. Those are the things, those four or five or six things in each one of those arenas that are done in order to make a thrilled and delighted customer, right?
1: That that's brilliant. Uh, at what point, with the number of items that they have under these four arenas, at what point is an organization in danger of losing its effectiveness? Is there an optimum number of activities under each each uh, area? Mm-hmm. And and uh, which I'm certain probably that there are certain things that are most important to each one, but. What would you say an optimal number is for in terms of the effective span and control and, and uh, efficiency?
2: I don't know that there's an absolute uh, way to discern that because some different industries do different things. And so there'll be depth in one area versus another. But for us to look at things, whether it's a 6,000 employee organization, person organization, or whether it's 60 we still maintain that there's a probably optimum number to define for yourself because a master measure of defining, this is what we call the master measure that leads to the KPI, or the key performance indicator. That master measure is the pinnacle of activities whether it encompasses several thousand people underneath it or just a few people underneath it. And uh, we do look for an optimum. When we build a chart of activities, we're looking for just 20 to 22 activities. That's it. We're looking for 20 to 22 activities that constitute probably well over 98% of the activities inside the organization.
1: And I was just thinking about those KPIs. They're different for everybody, for every industry. So. Those KPIs with a nonprofit, your, your donor, your, your mm-hmm. funding sources, there are a lot of other people that kind of help define what those are, the people that get your services. So right. a, lot, a lot of it, definition and customization.
2: And we also believe a key performance indicator is something that expires over time. When we build a KPI, we're building the data point for the problem, what I was talking about earlier, theory of constraints, the difficulties, the problems, the issues, and we're building a data point over a financial outcome point, and we're looking to improve that KPI to the point of where now it's The problem has been negated. It's not a problem anymore. It's superseded. It's it's gone away. Or another problem becomes more prevalent and more important. So we rotate KPIs over time and having a history base of what those KPI measures are and maintaining an index of those, now we have an assessment tools over time of what we've done and what the process steps of the organization has been. It literally builds the um, the generic environment that allows that organization to thrive and survive over time and be nimble, moving into the into its future.
0: For some people who um, aren't familiar with KPIs, give us an example of what some typical KPIs might be, and then. Sure. Uh, As a group, we're looking at a staff and a board, committees, uh, volunteers, and and a for-purpose company um, enterprise. So as we look at the KPIs and we look at the measurability of our process and our outcomes, it would seem that would be um, a way to engage the culture in, in a performance standard they have not otherwise envisioned.
2: Sure, Let's use something that's been typically done and I'm sure it's still being done pretty regularly in a, in a for uh um, four purpose organization. Let's say they do something that's called a fundraiser. <laughs> they are doing an activity. I don't care if it's a 5k, 10k run or a pie eating contest or whatever it might be. Right. And, uh, they've done this before and, uh, and they're, they know what they are likely to redo again this next season um, and they're planning for it. Uh, And in their planning steps, they begin to find out, you know, how many people do we have to do this and how many people do we have to do that? And how many things do we have to do? The KPI in that arena or that, excuse me, in that uh, activity would be something more along the line of Do we have the the punch list created for what we need to accomplish? Surprisingly enough, that simple activity is usually where most of our counsel ends up being or our mentoring ends up being when someone is failing at an activity. It's are you doing the basic block and tackling? So if we can now say, We need to have an overall planning strategy that constitutes the punch list necessary, that defines all the activities. Before we go in and assign activities, we need to make sure we have a reconcilable document, effectively, a reconcilable plan that says, now we know how many we're going to assign for this, and now we know how many people we're going to have for this, and now we have a better, uh, higher predictability of the results happening the way we had intended now we can define that against um, the outcome which is how much did we accrue that day or that weekend or that two-day event or five-day event or whatever that is now that seems rudimentary but it does give you a idea that we're looking at the facts of activities. The the, not the who, and not necessarily the what, but a little bit more about the how, and are we defining the how clearly enough that we can answer it so that we can provide the who that ends up coming out to be the what. Um, in a for-profit business, um, it could be as simple as, uh, and this can happen in a uh, in a um, uh, in an intentional purpose business. Uh, let's say we're we're not having good success in driving traffic to our website, and we don't have a very good conversion rate, and people aren't hitting our landing page, and they're not doing well. Well, how about did we do we have an overall master plan? that includes the process steps associated with all the right things that are necessary to make that work? Or did we just venture into it with a hope and a wish and a dream and a desire to say that we want to have this outcome? So um, it, it might sound like tediousness, but we're not talking about the actual things that need to be done. We're talking about defining what needs to be done. Once you define what needs to be done, now you can have the measurement tool to say, are we doing it?
0: Are we doing it? Let's connect the dots. Uh, What Russ and I are good at is creating a strategy. Uh, and, and strategic plan in the center vision world is called a solution map. And it's fundamentally the same. Where do you want to be and how are you going to get there? So there's all of these things we think we're going to do. And subsets of that, we've got milestones that have price tags on them. So we have to be able to generate funding for those. We have a marketing channel. We have to be able to let people know about what we're doing so they will fund us. Um, and then so the so the the people who attend our events, the people we want to show up for our board, our, our committees, uh, actually know what we're doing. So how do, um, and we're coming to the last 10 minutes here, so keep uh, just a short answer here, and then we're going to have a wrap with a, a sponsor message, and you get the final, the final uh, tip before we cut loose this this interview today. But so, how do we connect all those different parts?
2: So, how do we connect them? That was the question.
0: Well, is is what your tool um, mm-hmm. providing? Is it a way to take what we think we want to do on paper, what we actually want to do, and in integrating it? Is your your process help us connect those dots?
2: Yeah, uh, in that um, we're looking at the actual activities um, that are being performed to date. Now, a little bit of what you were describing was a proactive um, going-to-do thing. Did I garner that a little bit when you said if you looked at a strategy you're looking at we want this to happen so we have a budget for that right mm-hmm. um, we are we are applying it in the in the realm of is that activity working now because if it is that's how we're applying our systematic approach uh if it's not working now then that becomes very hypothetical and uh it's it only allows us to set the framework, but we don't have the loop back being the financial outcomes yet. We have to have, in our environment, for what we're doing, we have to have the loop back. It's a, it's a quad loop actual activity instead of a dual loop or a triple loop. It's a quad loop. By the time we get done, we have to have that connectability between operations and the outcomes. And that's, missing, that's missing often, isn't it? Um, If it's an ongoing organization, uh, it's there. If it is a early stage startup or brand new or um, it hasn't got enough history to it, uh, it's extremely difficult to tie this together. Um, We can do theory and we can get people to understand and they can adopt the process steps that allows for the alignment to take place that vision forward, that alignment that goes on, that's good. But in order to create the line of sight reconcilement to the financial statements, if there's somewhere,
1: else, you have to begin where you are. And by having some tools that you can take and start tracking mm-hmm. certain things, uh, you can build that history. And so it's really important to build that history. If you're talking about a startup, and you've probably come across some that are looking at raising large amounts of money,
2: it's critical to have that system in place, I would think. Yeah, it's about the source and use of funds. So if we go back to that value map, and we go back to 20 to 22 activities and the chart of activities within those four four arenas, Mm -hmm. anybody can do that. Startups can do it, early stage development Uh, ongoing activities that haven't had quite a history quite yet. Anybody can do that. And when you step back and look at and get real about, well, this is what we're doing here. Now that you can begin to do that, you'll channel the activities, that precious time, and that very precious talent that's wanting to support that idea, concept, or project that's being launched, can now devote their attention to the right, Things and minimize those things that are, might be important, but they're not critical, right? And and now we can spend energy and time on the right things. Russell, uh,
0: I bet you're thinking what I'm thinking that some of these um, are highlighting the important things that
1: donors want to know about. Oh yeah, <laughs> where where you know when somebody comes to you and they say the Somebody may be listening here, and we hope that people listening here get value out of it. That's why we do this work. It's very important. So when somebody approaches you and they say, okay, well, I, I think I understand in theory why I might need this. Uh, where do I start? Uh, where, do you, where is it that you tell them to start or you begin the process with them? to actually move in the direction so that they can implement this and start to use this
2: system. The, 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 um, again, working from the inside out, we start with the chief steward of the organization. Is that two minutes? Okay. We start with the chief steward of the organization, whoever is the responsible party for making the focused decisions of what to do here. And we simply interview them and have them unpack that story that is that chart of activities that 20 to 22 activities inside of those four arenas. Once we unpack that, then we begin to um, just hone it a little bit. But more importantly, since we're not really ever talking to people who are solopreneurs, we're talking to somebody who's got at least a few people around them. Now we go ahead and begin to go with the next responsible party. And and without, without, the answers provided by the first, we allow them to do the process maps themselves. Then we begin to get the alignment. And when we get the alignment from there, now we begin to say, okay, where's our energy and time? And as that system begins to manifest and move out into larger circles from that alignment process, again, once we have alignment, we can begin to make measure. And depending upon how we're measuring against, whether it's a history of a story, and the financials, or whether it's simply uh, what our intended outcomes are, now we can b- at least begin to apply it.
0: Mm, mm. A lot of good intentions. Uh, this backs it up with some uh, some tracking and some – I see this as an energy field where people understand what's going on so it builds the collaborative energy in the organization. So, um, yeah. Jim, we're going to talk about our one of our sponsors today and then give you a chance to um, – give a, a parting thought or a tip what's a tip you want people to think about your your website is management operating systems mosupgrade.com mosupgrade.com you spell out the word upgrade and people i guess can find out more there and know how to contact you when they go to that website speaking of websites CenterVision um ha, is has launched and is growing its online community for community builders and you combine synergy and vision, you get CenterVision, and it's about leadership. So SynerVisionLeadership.org is the website. And our web provider is our branding, marketing web company, RockPaperSimple.com in Melbourne, Florida. Uh, Joshua Adams and his team have done a stunning job, and we're, we're still activating functions. So come and join the community, uh, CenterVisionLeadership.org, and find out what it's about. And if you want to know about how you can engage your stakeholders, engage your tribe, engage your donors, then it might be a problem with your website. rockpapersimple.com forward slash Hugh, H-U-G-H. There's a page for you there and you can free uh, episodes and help sponsor the magazine and the website. So Jim, what do you want to leave people with today?
2: Well, I know because of the nature of your questions, you wanted me to get it down simplified. And I believe we have. I may not have explained it quite that well from the standpoint of it's very, you know, a professional can do things that look so simple. And when we take a look at your organizational activities we really do look at the complexity of every organization but we simplify it if I could leave one message behind it is this ain't so hard <laughs> this ain't so hard um, I in and, and uh, but as I said we built it on the shoulders of giants there's a lot of research and a lot of data behind this that proves out the process, proves out the theory. And we've got some very practical demonstrations of outcomes that have worked for some very quickly sized organizations. Um, and so um, yes, uh, MO, uh, MOS MOSU, and the U stands for upgrade. So MOS upgrade, which is management operating system upgrade. Dot com. Um, you can find me there listed as one of the team members. Um, we, do have an, we do have an organization to implement this uh, with some very specialized talents as well. Uh, and, um, and then directly people can contact me easily. My name Jim Dijkert at, at zoho z o h o dot com. And it's just four letters. Zebra Oscar Henry Oscar.com. And uh love to be able to walk some people through this. Um, you know, our real challenge is to find the people that have a real desired impact and are having some difficulty making that happen. Russell, so,
1: let's, let's say goodbye. Well, it's been a pleasure, Jim. Thank you very much. And it's always important to measure what you're doing. And it's not rocket science. So contact Jim. Go to Cinevision.com leadership.org or com, and there's tools for you to do all of these things many thanks again thanks guys
0: thank you this podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network for more top business podcasts
1: visit c sweetradio.com.